0: I don't want to turn the attention to me, but I need to admit that yesterday and today have been touching. And uh, I know in a uh, certain way that um, these days are important for us. Uh, my mom has been on my mind, and not only my mom, but my grandfather, who's uh, been gone since 1993, and my grandmother in uh, 88. So 30 years, 35 years, and a year and a half but that's okay. Because it's not a grief that is tearing apart, but rather a grief that acknowledges that there was love there. In fact, even though it's a weird source, one of my favorite lines when it comes to grief is on the lips of a Marvel character as he turns to another character and says, what is grief but love enduring? That love that endures, that love That remains. If we don't have grief, do we really love? But each of us grieves in our own way. You've probably, those who have experienced death, especially in this last year, so many gathered here tonight, you probably are aware that you look at your maybe family members and you realize that you experience and grieve in different ways. Sometimes we grieve in irrational ways of moments of anger or bargaining. Sometimes we deal with grief and just silent desperation, perhaps, burying our heads in a pillow or crying uncontrollably, or the silliest little thing can set us off into tears. Sometimes we fall into inappropriate laughter, or the littlest thing sets us off into giggles. Some who mourn so deeply, inconsolably, As I observe, not that I observe all that much internally anyway, uh, uh, inside families, but as I observe, it seems like those who grieve deepest are the ones who love deepest. And those who, who are so confused, so lost, are those, perhaps, whose faith is a little shaken. That we don't quite trust what our Lord says. We don't try to quite trust that there is a resurrection, and after all, we, we look at this gospel passage and, and uh, I selected this. The church gives us every reading that, it, every gospel reading that it gives for uh, uh, almost every reading, I should say, uh, because the church gives us 19 different choices for funerals. They only give us 12. Here, uh, anyone who says the church lacks choice needs to, to plan a funeral. But this gospel passage, the living bread that comes down from heaven, seems like an odd choice perhaps. But it is our promise of eternal life. Those who come forward to receive Jesus Christ in this Eucharist, in any Eucharist, after all, there is only really one Eucharist, the one Eucharist established by Jesus Christ, and we're drawn into that one Eucharist. But those who come forward receive the pledge of eternal life. Jesus promises that we will not die. Now, how is that? Is Jesus a liar? No, of course not. But he's talking about a different kind of death, a death that is eternal, a death that is separated from God for all eternity, a death that, of course, ends somewhere other than heaven. It ties in very well with, of course, you remember that story at the beginning of the Bible. God telling Adam and Eve, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. And Satan comes and, nah, did God really say that? Oh, he, he just doesn't want you to become like you. He, Satan planting that seed of mistrust. Satan telling Adam and Eve that God is a liar. And they eat, and of course they don't die. Physically but they do die. They die to themselves because of their sin. Now they're separated. They're they're not, not as it should be. There's relationships that are broken, relationship with God, relationship with each other. They're uncomfortable in their own bodies, naked but ashamed. Death is more than a physical death. Those who have gone before us have physically died. We know this. But with faith, they are alive. It's been on, heavy on my heart, the, the, that line uh, where, where, you know, whose wife will she be? You know, she was married to seven brothers, and whose wife will she be? And, and Jesus turns it on its head. Do you remember that passage about the bush when God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? God is a God of the living, not the dead. God is a living, God is God of the living, not the dead. In God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all who are faithful are alive. This is what we celebrated, of course, yesterday, for those who are in heaven enjoy heaven's peace, who enjoy resurrection. Because in God there is no time. But what we celebrate or or commemorate rather today is something different. For those yet on the way, for those who who died, who who ate the bread of life, who received Jesus Christ, who lived Jesus Christ, who sought forgiveness of their sins and yet are not ready to enter into that eternal kingdom. If you want to imagine a wedding feast, which, of course, St. John especially ties the final coming into that wedding feast, even Jesus in the parables time and again mentions a wedding feast. You don't go to a wedding feast with dirty clothes. You need to change, be ready, well-dressed, and of course the soul sometimes has stains. We're forgiven, but it doesn't wipe away that stain immediately sometimes. That we, we are marked with that stain. Uh, use the image of a broken window. You can apologize, but it doesn't fix the window. Sometimes we need to do something. There, there needs to be something done. And that, that something done, when it comes to our relationship, is to coming to full love of Jesus Christ, full love of God the Father, and living with the Holy Spirit. We're saved, thank God, but we're not at that full love yet. We need time. And sometimes we have uh, an attachment to sin that, that we just think that this world has so much more to offer, that, that we, we want to do what, uh, what we want to do and not necessarily what God wants to do. And, and even though we've gotten forgiveness, we still have that disordered attachment. And what we mark and commemorate today is those with those disordered attachments, too, that are seeking freedom. It's an odd image, perhaps, but, and I've, I mentioned this because the, the best image that I've ever found in writing is Marley's ghost in The Christmas Carol. These are the chains that I bound through life. He's bound by the chains. He needs freedom. And so God, in his mercy, gives us a place, or rather a state, of purgatory where we're purged of those stains, we're purged of those desires, and we come to full love. But they need our prayers. This is the most important thing we can do as Catholics, is to pray for those who have gone before us. Because aside from those that are canonized, formally recognized, where the church has said, yes, we believe they are in heaven, that they are already enjoying the resurrected life, we don 't know we can't canonize people on our own so often we hear that and and it's always a, a, a tight line because we don't know was there a secret sin that they held on to a secret uh, disordered attachment that they had and so we need to pray again just as we grieve different we need to realize that we need to pray as faithful. That those who are faithful grieve different and we pray for those who have gone before us. Not in a hopelessness, not in a sense of loss, oh dear God, and we're white-knuckling and asking, but rather a sense of faith. Lord, be with them. Give them rest in your kingdom. Bring them to full love. The Lord gives us himself in this Eucharist. As I said yesterday, or tried to anyway, it's a foretaste. It's a, we, we see here Christ hidden. But to further put the point on it, when we receive the Eucharist, it's not only that we become united, have communion with our Lord, but we receive communion with each other. And not only communion with each other here tonight or at the Mass this morning or yesterday or tomorrow, but for all, eter- all eternity, everywhere. If that's true, we have a communion not only with the saints, the Church victorious, as the Church has called it, but the Church suffering, the Church in purgatory, those souls that need our prayers, that await perfection, that they too may be in eternity with God. How, how can we expect, and I, I ask myself this to kind of accuse myself, but how can I expect people to pray for me after I'm gone if I'm not praying for those that have gone before? How can I, how can I be so uncharitable to not pray for the eternal rest Entrance into heaven for those who have gone before us. How, how can I not offer everything during a funeral mass? Not offer everything during, uh, with an intention for those who have died? Not offer my prayers? This is something you too can do. Yes, you don't offer mass, but you can offer the intention. As we gather for funerals, uh, known or slightly known, to pray, to pray, and that we ourselves too would find a way in this world to come to more perfect love, to seek to be freed from sin and the stain of sin and the desire of sin in all its forms.